it is for them to be sitting in there to hear this address. And Beth, uh, if you can hear me now, um, we've just heard Joe Biden uh, in the White House announce a ban on oil and gas products, Russian oil and gas products, and the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, announcing something similar in the UK. These are significant new sanctions, aren't they? They are, Mark, and yesterday when the Prime Minister uh, held that press conference with his uh, Dutch and his Canadian counterparts, Mark Rutter and Justin Trudeau, they were asked exactly about this. What about oil sanctions? You financially sanctioned Russia. You've put all those sanctions in place. You are sanctioning Russian oligarchs. But what about where Putin really gets the money from, oil and gas? And all of those leaders said you can't just switch off uh, the supply from Russia overnight because European economies in particular are dependent uh, on that uh, flow of energy. But what has been very significant today is that the rhetoric yesterday about reducing dependence, this is what the Prime Minister said, this is what Trudeau said and Rutter said yesterday. They are now putting it into action, announcing plans in the European Union uh, to reduce supply and then end uh, the reliance on Russian oil fossil fuels by 2030, uh, but trying to bring that in earlier. Uh, the Prime Minister today announcing that there will be a ban on oil uh, coming from Russia, uh, nothing yet on gas, but a plan uh, to end uh, the reliance on Russian oil within by the end of this year, so in the next nine months, and then President Biden making announcements as well. So when the West said that they were going to put sanctions on President Putin, uh, it started off with financial sanctions. They then went to the swift electronic messaging, which began to choke the supply, uh, to choke the ability to trade uh, for Russia. They then moved to uh, freezing assets of the central bank in Russia, and now they are moving on oil and gas. So it's very, very significant. And Bethy is almost certainly going to bring up this idea of the no-fly zone. And I just wondered what the mood was. Um, clearly, NATO do not want to move on that. Uh, what, what is the mood though among politicians in the UK on this idea of NATO enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine? Well, you're right, Mark. I mean, this was exactly what President Zelensky was trying to appeal to Congress uh, men and women when he addressed uh, Congress, the US Congress, at the weekend, asking for that no fly zone. Uh, he has spoken today about how uh, Russia will be coming for NATO countries next. He's really trying to push this upon. Uh, UK, the UK Prime Minister, the G7, the European Union, the US President, but all Western leaders and NATO members have been very clear that a no-fly zone would involve uh, taking out Russian jets. They say this would be direct military conflict with Russia, and it's a step of escalation that they simply cannot take. But that doesn't mean that President Zelensky uh, won't keep the pressure up when it comes to that question. OK, Beth, we're going to interrupt uh, you, I'm afraid. Lindsay Hoyle is speaking in the Commons. In this country. That is why I have suspended the formal business of the House in order to hear the President's address. We have also been joined by the Ukraine Ambassador. Yeah. President Zelensky 
We have watched the situation unfold in your country with increasing concern, but also with increasing admiration for the courage, the fortitude displayed by you and your fellow Ukrainians. Mr. President, you are welcome to address members of the House of Commons and the Lords. You now have the floor. President. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm addressing all the people of the United Kingdom and all the people from the country with a big history. I'm addressing you as a citizen, as a president of also a big country with a dream and big effort. I would like to tell you about the three days of about the 13 days of war, the war that we didn't start and we didn't want it. However, we have to conduct this war. We do not want to lose what we have, what is ours, our country, Ukraine, just the same way as you once didn't want to lose your country when Nazis started to fight your country. And you had to fight for Britain. 13 days of the struggle on day one at four o'clock in the morning we were attacked by cruise missiles. Everybody woke up. Uh, people, children, the entire Ukraine, and since that we have not been sleeping. We have all been fighting uh, for our country with our army. On day two, we have been fighting airstrikes, and our heroic um, military servicemen on the islands, Mini, have been trying to fight. When Russian flags, uh, when Russian forces demanded that we lay down the arms, however, we did continue fighting, and and we did we did feel our force. Um, the force of our people that opposed the occupants until the end. The next day, the artillery started fighting us. The, the, our army showed us 
who we are and uh, we, we have been able to see who are people and who are beasts. On day four, we started uh, getting people captive. We have not been torturing them. We remained humane even on day four of this terrible war. On day five, the terror against us was going on against children, against cities, and constant shelling had been taking place uh, around the country, including hospitals, and that didn't break us. And that gave us feeling of big truth on day six, the Russian um, Rockets uh, fell on Babin Yar, that is the place where the Nazis killed uh, thousands of people during the Second World War. Uh, and uh, 80 years after, the Russian torches are getting destroyed uh, by shelling. On day 8, we have seen Russian tanks uh, hitting uh, the atomic power station. And everybody got to understand that this is the terror against everyone. On day nine, there was a meeting of NATO Congress. Without the um, result that we were looking for, yes, we did feel that. We did feel that um, we did feel that unfortunately that the alliances don't work properly always and the no-fly zone cannot be enforced and on day 10 the Ukrainians started protesting and mass stopping the um, armored vehicles with their own hands and on day 11 the children and cities were being hit and hospitals as well with the rockets and uh, constant shelling and uh, on that day we realized that your Ukrainians became heroes, the entire cities, children, adults. And on day 12, the losses of Russian army exceeded 10,000 people killed. And also including the general, and that gave us hope that there will be some kind of uh, responsibility for those people of, uh, in front of the court. On day 13, in, in uh, the city of Mariupol that was attacked by the Russian force, a child was killed. They do not allow any food, any water, and people started panicking. I, I think everybody can hear that, that people do not have water over there. Over 13 days of this um, situation, over 50 children have been killed. These are the children that could have lived. But these people have taken them away from us. 
the United Kingdom, Ukraine were not looking to have this fall. The Ukraine have not been looking to become uh, big, but they have become big over the days um, of this war. The, we are the country that are saving people despite um, uh, despite having to fight the one of the biggest uh, country, one of the biggest armies in the world. We have to fight the helicopters, rockets. Uh, the question for us now is to be or not to be. Oh no, this is Shakespearean question. For 13 days, this question uh, could have been asked. But now I can give you a definitive answer. It's definitely yes to be. Um, and I would like to remind you the words that the United Kingdom have already heard, uh, which are important again. We will not give up and we will not lose. We will fight till the end at sea, in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. We will fight in the forests, in the fields, on the shores, in the streets. I would like to add that we will fight uh, on the on the banks of different rivers like Dnieper and we, will, we are looking for your help for the help of the civilized countries we are, we are thankful for this help and we and I'm, I'm very grateful to you Boris Please increase the pressure of sanctions against this country and please recognize this country as a terrorist state. And please make sure that our Ukrainian skies are safe. Please make sure that you do what needs to be done and what is stipulated by the greatness of your country. Best of all to Ukraine and uh, to the United Kingdom. Mr. President, on behalf of the House of Commons, I want, I want to thank you for speaking to us and for giving us very clearly and powerful perspective of the tragic situation facing you and fellow Ukrainians. We have debated the situation in Ukraine numerous times in recent weeks, and I know that we will continue to do so, and that when we do so, your words will be resonating with us. I want to express the solidarity of the House of Commons with you, your compatriots, and we salute the courage of the people of Ukraine. Thank you, and our prayers are with you.
Mr. Speaker. Just, just let me say. We will now resume with the formal sittings of the House. Order, order. I will take the points of order from the leaders of the main parties before we return to the opposition day. I call the Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A point of order, with your permission, Mr. Speaker. May I say that never before in all our centuries of our parliamentary democracy has the House listened to such an address. In a great European capital, now within range of Russian guns, President Volodymyr Zelensky is standing firm for democracy and for freedom. In his righteous defence, I believe he has moved the hearts of everybody in this House. At this moment, ordinary Ukrainians are defending their homes and their families against a brutal assault. And they are, by their actions, inspiring millions by their courage and their devotion. And I think today, one of the proudest boasts in the free world is Ya Ukrainets. I am a Ukrainian. So this is a moment for us to put our political differences aside, Mr. Speaker. And I know I speak for the whole House when I say that Britain and our allies are determined to press on, to press on with supplying our Ukrainian friends with the weapons they need to defend their homeland as they deserve. To press on with tightening the economic vice around Vladimir Putin, and we will stop importing Russian oil, Mr. Speaker. And my right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, will update the House on that tomorrow. And we will employ every method that we can diplomatic, humanitarian, and economic, Mr. Speaker, until Vladimir Putin has failed in this disastrous venture and Ukraine is free once more. Point of order, Mr. Speaker. Every one of us has been moved by the bravery, the resolve, and the leadership of President Zelensky. Invading troops marched through his streets, shells rained down on his people, and assassins seek his life. No one would have blamed him for fleeing, but instead he has stayed in Kyiv to lead the Ukrainian people and to fight. He's reminded us that our freedom and our democracy are invaluable. He's prompted the world into action where too often we've let Putin have his way. He's inspired the Ukrainian people to resist and frustrated the Russian war machine. He has shown his strength and we must show him and the Ukrainian people our commitment and our support. Labour stands for the unity at home and abroad that will isolate the Putin regime. Yeah. Labour stands for the toughest sanctions that will cripple the Russian state. Yeah. Labour stands for providing Ukraine with the arms it needs to fight off their invaders. Yeah. Labour stands with President Zelensky, with Ukraine, with democracy. Slava Ukraini. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. 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 the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, with your forbearance, if I can make a point of order. President Zelensky, we salute you. We stand with the people of Ukraine on the basis of the act of aggression, on the act of war of Putin. We must do all that we can to send support to Ukraine, to send the weapons that they need to defend themselves, to make sure that we sanction the regime in Moscow, that we deliver 
the clearest message to President Putin, that this will end in failure for him, that he will face justice at the International Court. We must stand in this House, throughout these islands, throughout the Western world, in defence of democracy, in defence of sovereignty. Peace, justice and the sovereignty of Ukraine must prevail. Let's make sure that we stand with our friends. We stand against those that have been bombed. We make sure that those that need our support, that need our sanctuary, will find a welcoming hand in these islands. Mr. President, we thank you. We salute you. Slavia, Ukraine. Ed David. Point of order, Mr. Speaker. Hearing the words of President Zelensky should embolden us all. They serve as a reminder of all that we stand for, of all which so many Ukrainians are so bravely fighting for, a bravery exemplified by President Zelensky himself. That we should never take for granted our values of democracy, of freedom, and of our security. And though we in this House may disagree on many things, we stand together for those values, and together we stand together with the, the Ukrainian people. Mr. Speaker, it is right that we strengthen our support for Ukraine with military aid, with toughest of sanctions. And it's in that support that we should also recognise the people of Ukraine and indeed President Zelensky. I'm sure the whole House would agree that President Zelensky should be granted one of our nation's highest honours, an honorary knighthood. And I look forward to the day when we welcome back to this House President Zelensky in person. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On a point of order, uh, we uh, commend President Zelensky and the people of Ukraine, and we stand with them in this uh, their time of strife. But our response will not be judged by the volume or strength of our applause for President Zelensky. It will be judged by the volume and strength of our response to his request for help, for practical military support and for humanitarian assistance for the people of Ukraine. We pray for their success. We dare not let them down. Can I also like to thank the staff and the contractors for making this happen? Well, there we are. We've just witnessed a remarkable event in the House of Commons, an unprecedented event in the House of Commons. President Zelensky of Ukraine getting a standing ovation before he had even said a word. Um, when he did speak, he said, I would like to tell you about the war we didn't start and didn't want. And he likened it to Britain's fight in the Second World War. He gave a day-by-day -day account then of the invasion, saying... Um, they had faced missiles and airstrikes, but his forces were resisting. He talked about the sieges of the cities uh, where civilians are still suffering as we speak. And uh, he said the question now is to be or not to be. And he said it will be to be. He said we will not give up. We will not uh, end this uh, with uh, failure. We will fight, he said, to the end. And he invoked really a kind of Churchillian spirit in the speech and to Boris Johnson he said please increase sanctions and recognize it as a terrorist state talking about Russia and then uh, Boris Johnson said the house had never heard such an address as this he said Britain and our allies will press on 
with delivering weapons, press on with sanctions, and uh, with every method we can make to make sure Putin fails. Well, our political editor, Beth Rigby, was listening to all that. And Beth, an extraordinary event in the House of Commons. It really w was, Mark. It was a very moving moment. MPs on their feet. The applause. Uh, I could hear it outside the chamber. It was, it was deafening. And President Zelensky there, as you were summing up, uh, with such dignity and courage, going through these 13 days of war, as you said, a war that the Ukrainians did not want. Uh, and there was echoes of Churchill in that address as he said we will not give up we will not lo lose we will fight in the forest the fields on the shores in the streets and then a plea uh, to allies to the UK government to other G7 countries and of course NATO he said we're looking for help of civilized countries he said I'm grateful to Boris and he said, please increase sanctions and recognize this country as a terrorist state and make sure our skies are safe. So much uh, in that address. But look, I am joined now uh, by former Defence Secretary Dr Liam Fox. Let me ask him what he thought of the address. We're just trying to get the mics going. Let me move that for you, Liam. tremendously dignified performance by the President, very courageous, uh, as you say, um, setting out the impact that the war has had on the people of Ukraine, but also asking the free world to continue their support, to continue helping, not just with the supply of, of weapons that they need to fight off uh, the, the atrocities of the Russians, but also tightening the sanctions. And, and I think perhaps the most moving thing was he said, uh, in a reference to the existential nature of this war, he said, uh, to quote Shakespeare, we have to choose as a country to be or not to be, and we choose to be. He said we choose to be, he said we will not give up, he said we will win, but do you honestly think that the Ukrainians, with all the heart that they have, can win this war without direct military intervention from NATO? Uh, yes. And I think that uh, people are underestimating to some extent the actions that the whole world has taken uh, against Russia. When you get countries like Switzerland giving up their neutrality uh, to put sanctions on Russia, you get an idea of how united the international response has been and the, the uh, potentially crippling action taken against the Russian central bank uh, will produce real economic hardship in Russia very quickly. Uh, and I think that ultimately Putin has to decide, uh, is, is this about his ego, about his view of history, his reclamation of the Soviet empire, and is he willing to see not only death and destruction in Ukraine, but potential appalling hardship and the destruction of his own economy at home? I mean, what, what sort of, of madness is this? And Dr Fox, just in, in that statement, uh, President Zelensky again made a plea please keep our skies safe, the no-fly zone. What's your, you a former defence secretary, you are a foreign policy expert, what's your view of that request? Well, you couldn't have a no-fly zone unless you had commit, uh, created a permissive environment. In other words, we would have to bomb uh, any Russian anti-aircraft 
uh, facilities to make sure our pilots were safe. That would bring us into direct conflict uh, with Russia. If people want a war, that's the way to go about it. Um, what there, we, is, there is a war. Yes, but you're talking about a full European war, NATO against Russia. Not only what does that, not only does the talk about that um, uh, heighten the tension, but it actually plays into Putin's narrative. Putin wants this to be portrayed in Russia as Russia against NATO. Uh, we've got to show that this is Russia pitting its might against uh, a defenseless and harmless Ukraine. We've got to make sure that people understand the malevolence and the wickedness of what Putin is doing here and the scale of the destruction and death he's bringing to innocent people. We mustn't give him the excuse to turn it into something else. So, so you agree with the position of, uh, of not having a no-fly zone? I know some of your colleagues uh, think differently. If, if we don't intervene, NATO doesn't intervene uh, directly, uh, and the sanctions are the tool with which Putin finally fails, how do you see this playing out? Is this a, a month, two months, many months, many years? How, how long are we going to have to watch this awful situation unfold in Ukraine? Well, well, first of all, the Russians don't have supremacy in the skies in the way that many people thought they would. It's very clear that their logistics are not very good. It's very clear that they didn't expect the resistance of the Ukrainians that they have. So uh, however long Putin has been thinking about this, he hasn't prepared very well or hasn't understood the, the conditions he would face. Most of the damage being done in Ukraine is being done by shelling, by artillery. Um, and if we're able to supply the Ukrainians uh, with defensive equipment and uh, offensive equipment, uh, so much the better. But the question of how long really depends on how much Putin is willing to see pain not only inflicted on Ukraine, but increasingly severe pain on his own people. I mean, the evidence to date is he doesn't much care. Um, about his own people, but his people themselves may care. And, and just final question, what's your view on the government's handling of this? The Prime Minister has of course been on the world stage, but in terms of the refugee policy and also the sanctioning of Russian oligarchs, some criticism from his own backbenchers. Well, I think that we have been on the front foot. Britain was at the forefront uh, of leading the economic sanctions, including the, uh, uh, the sanctions against the Russian central bank, which I think is the most crucial of all. I think when it comes to the humanitarian question, We've understood that when it comes to trying to stop Putin in Ukraine, we have to act as an international community. We have to do the same on the humanitarian front. A lot of these refugees, they're not economic migrants. They don't want to come to other countries. The chances are they will want to stay close to the borders of their own country so they can go home, join their families, their communities, um, in the way that, that we would all want to do. That's going to produce a huge pressure. Uh, on the governments of Poland, of Slovakia, of Hungary um, and of Romania in particular. And we have to recognise that we have to help them in every way that we can. I'm going to Poland tomorrow. I'll get a chance to talk to people more there. But whatever happens, I think we need to recognise that although this war is not happening on our geographical borders, it's happening on our human borders. Thanks, Dr Fox. Thanks for joining us. And you should come back and tell us how it, your visit to Poland went. Thanks for coming on Sky News. Uh, Mark, there you have the former Defence Secretary quite clear that uh, imposing a no-fly zone would put NATO into direct conflict with Russia. And then this war is not just between UK, Ukraine and Russia, but between Europe and Russia, something that he argues uh, the West cannot countenance. Uh, so... Uh, President Zelensky's very, very passionate, heartfelt address. Uh, but for now, it's still a question of sanctions, although 
the energy sanctions today just announced by the US, the EU, the UK, all very significant? Yeah, uh, sanctions and supplies of defensive uh, military equipment. Uh, Beth, thank you very much indeed. Let's speak to our security and defense editor, Deborah Haynes, who is here in Western Ukraine uh, with me this evening. And uh, Deborah, we heard there um, President Zelensky saying this is a fight we can win. What is the reality on the ground military?
Switching to AAA insurance, we're able to save over $450. More gas in our car for driving up north to go camp. We can do s'mores. You can't lose with s'mores. Find out how much you could save. Contact the Auto Club for a free auto insurance quote today.
Good afternoon. The information space is filled with fake information produced by the Russian Federation. There is a simple explanation for this. Given the lack of significant achievements in the field of hostilities and struggle begins in the brain, ears and eyes of the audience, both inside Russia and the outer perimeter. Today we see a series of information and psychological operations aimed at discrediting Ukraine, as well as spreading false information about the actions of the Russian Federation. In recent days, information has appeared that supposedly Ukraine planned special operations, an attack and a war against the territories of the LNR and DNR occupied at that time. This fake information is being spread with reference to the leaders of these self-proclaimed territories. In confirmation of these fakes, there is an evidence that during the fashion show of the Balenciaga brand, models appeared in the clothes of yellow and blue colors, and this allegedly indicates that these collections were prepared for more than one day, and this shows some coordination between Ukrainian army and famous designers. By the way, the designer of this fashion house is a famous Georgian who, as a sign of solidarity, decided to show the last model in a blue and yellow colors. But not only such fakes, which are absolutely ridiculous on the one hand and absurd on the other hand, fill the media space. For example, absolutely fake information about the laboratories of the U.S. Department of Defense on the territory of Ukraine and the development of some special strains. In this regard, the Minister of Health of Ukraine issued a refutation of the information spread in Russian propaganda media about an emergency cleansing of military biological programs traces, which are funded by the U.S. Department of Defense, and also a refutation that the destruction of especially dangerous pathogens took place in Poltava and Kharkiv centers for disease controls and prevention. The Minister of Health of Ukraine emphasizes that there are no American laboratories on the territory of Ukraine. All laboratory capacities that exist on the territory of Ukraine fulfill the only common goal, the identification of pathogens and infectious diseases that are significant epidemic potential and international significance. The Minister of Health draws attention to the fact that in the documents published by the propagandists, there is not a single dangerous strain about which the media of aggressor states are actively discussed. This fake has been spread for more than a year, and it appeared in media space three, four years ago. At that time, political outsiders now deputies from the pro-Russian party, Viktor Medvedchuk and Renat Kuzmin. This fake was spread on TV channels controlled by Putin. Other fake information concerns the alleged intentions of the armed forces of Ukraine to hold Ukrainian workers as hostages in the enterprises of the city of Mariupol in order to later blow it up with the help of Ukrainian nationalists. Well, this is not true. It is a fake. Meantime, it is time for the Russians themselves to switch on critical thinking and pay attention to the way in which they are being deceived by their own government. The well-known story about the flight attendants painted on a green background with whom their president communicated. More and more evidences appear in the media that this is completely staged story. The participants of this fake meeting took part in other meetings, but in different status. Today they are Aeroflot flight attendants, before they were fisherwomen or ice cream sellers. 
Realizing that the Russian Federation has big losses on the battlefield, they are trying to manipulate the minds of Russians in a different way. Seeing the number of destroyed vehicles with the Z logo, they are trying to mirror this story and create a positive image of this Z brand. In particular, car rallies in support of the Russian occupation campaign. According to Ukrainian Special Service of the SBU, the Z logo, which Russians use as one of the recognizable signs of aggression against Ukraine, actually has its roots in the Nazi power. Special premises on the territory of Nazi concentration camps had such logo. Premises for the extermination of Jews. This is nothing surprising that such a logo is now used in relation to Ukrainians by the aggressor state. Friends, remain calm, believe in the armed forces of Ukraine, be sure to turn on critical thinking, check the information, do not fall for fakes and propaganda. Everything will be Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Things that we didn't think were thinkable just a few days ago now being deployed as the West pushes ahead with its declaration to decimate Russia's economy. Oil is 60% of all of Russia's exports. It's 14% of the entire economy. So Putin is hugely dependent on it. And don't forget, Krish, energy is currently pretty much the only income that is not sanctioned through the banks. As you said, uh, oil has been banned uh, in the US along with gas imports, and the UK has banned all Russian oil and oil products. So, for example, a fifth of all diesel at UK forecourts actually come from Russia. But it's not just diesel, it's naphtha, it's uh, jet fuel. So it's really huge. The EU, however, while they today said they were going to wean themselves off Russian gas, have not joined the embargo. And here's why. Russia makes up 7% of all of U.S. oil imports. So while there are pockets of industry that are going to be hurt, it's not going to bring the country to a standstill. In the U.K., it's 11% of imports. But Europe, the problem is much bigger. For example, Germany, Russian oil imports are at 30%. So that's a huge, big problem. The UK ban, of course, is not immediate, is not coming into effect until the end of the year. Here's what the Prime Minister had to say about that delay. We can't move overnight, but we can certainly do it. And we can do it in a way that doesn't disrupt supply, that uh, ensures that we have uh, substitute supplies on stream in, the, in, a, in, an, in an orderly way and in a timetable that won't affect uh, UK business, won't affect uh, UK uh, manufacturing, road haulage, or, uh, or other parts of our, of, of our industry, uh, but will punish uh, the regime of, of Vladimir Putin. Is that true? Well, of course, it can't be. Economists are already talking about inflation going above 8%, growth in the UK being dragged black backwards, basically stagflation, low growth and higher prices. That's horrible for consumers. Uh, the Chancellor apparently told Cabinet this is going to hurt consumers, especially low-income uh, low families. And the TUC says the government must protect workers and industry. So there's going to be increasing pressure now going forward on the Chancellor for cushioning measures of how sanctions will not impact UK citizens as much as they might. Thanks, Helia.
Well, later in the programme, we will be hearing from people who rely on petrol and diesel to do their jobs. Now, he quoted Shakespeare and echoed Churchill. He was given a standing ovation by MPs. But Ukrainian President Zelensky had a simple message for the UK. Give us more support. In a unique address to the Commons via video link from Ukraine, he said he was grateful to Boris Johnson and thankful for help, but wanted the government to increase the pressure of sanctions against Russia and to make sure Ukrainian skies are safe. Here's our political editor, Gary Gibbon. You now have the floor. President. President Zelensky then had to wait while MPs applauded him. He gestured to his heart, showing thanks. MPs had spilled into the galleries above the chamber to listen. Then, speaking from a capital city under attack, President Zelensky invoked Churchill and Shakespeare. The question for us now is to be or not to be. You all know this is Shakespearean question. For 13 days, this question uh, could have been asked. But now I can give you a definitive answer. It's definitely yes to be. Um, and I would like to remind you the words that the United Kingdom have already heard, uh, which are important again. We will not give up and we will not lose. We will fight till the end at sea, in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. We will fight in the forests, in the fields, on the shores, in the streets. He thanked the government for trying to isolate Russia, but asked for more support. And I'm, I'm very grateful to you, Boris. Please increase the pressure of sanctions against this country. And please recognize this country as a terrorist state. And please make sure that our Ukrainian skies are safe. Best of all to Ukraine and to the United Kingdom. Democracy in Action Conference, a former member of parliament and a leader of the Maidan protests in 2013. Prior to heading to Poland to meet with Secretary Blinken and a U.S. congressional delegation, she was in Ukraine for the start of the Russian invasion. She says she was told that she was on a Russian kill list. Anna, we've talked to you a lot. Um, it is good to see you safe and in Poland right now. You met with this delegation. What are you asking for? So we ask them to act immediately because at stake is not just American leadership, at stake the lives of Ukrainian kids. And of course, today, uh, during the Women's Solidarity Day, more than 70 women of Ukraine, mothers, members of parliament, they made an appeal to president of the United States. Uh, this is uh, the letter uh, asking him actually to protect us, to demonstrate leadership in standing up to Putin's expansionist, because it's not about Ukraine. It's uh, also about Europe and also about the whole world. We have to stop this new tyranny, this new Hitler and Stalin together. And actually, what is really important to see the no-fly 
zones. This is what we discussed with State Secretary Blinken, Congressional Delegation, embargo, which is crucially important to impose embargo and to stop buying uh, commodities like gas, oil from Russia. I'm now in Warsaw just meeting German uh, Bundestag members of parliament, asking them why you are helping now for uh, Russian oligarchs to avoid SWIFT and other sanctions and dirty money from Russia are still going through different banks of Germany. And also we asked yesterday with uh, the meeting with Belgium uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs about more sanctions and deportation of Putin's children which are enjoying the luxury of western civilization also abramovich one of the oligarchs who has factories in the us in uk and we don't understand why ukrainians kids are dying and people like kadyrov's gangsters are killing civilians and the world is discussing do we need to have a no-fly zone does morality and at the nato border so, no, I, there is discussion about a limited no-fly zone. Did you, when you were talking to Secretary Blinken, and when you were, and tell me if you're going to meet with anybody else, any other foreign leaders, have they mentioned to you or said anything about some limited steps that they can take? We need now to see how the West is providing maximum, maximum military assistance to Ukraine. Our territorial defense, our armed forces, one of the most heroic with the bravery and courage. So actually what we demand, like javelins, anti-missiles, air defense systems, and also green corridors, which is like freedom bridge to cover Western Ukraine. Millions of Ukrainians are coming to Poland. And I'm here in Warsaw advocating for national interest of Ukraine and Polish people. Do you know what they ask me? Hannah, if Putin starts uh, rocket and nuclear attacks on Warsaw, we are now thinking to move to Spain. But I'm telling them, please, uh, yes, Putin is uh, insane, but he's very pragmatic. He will never push the button because even from te technologically, it's hard to execute. So actually, please don't be afraid. And this is also what we are asking the U.S. leadership. It's like in Bible, don't be afraid. Please yeah. demonstrate your leadership. Become like Reagan, in, in, like uh, Senator McKay. Stop this enemy uh, and not to allow one day to come to you. Let me, let me get some news in here. We just got a, a um, statement from the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Poland. Uh, Poland says that after consultations between, between the president and the government there, uh, they are ready to deploy immediately and free of charge all of their MiG-29 jets, that's all of their Soviet-era fighter jets, uh, to Ramstein Air Base, which is in Germany, and give them to the American government to use them at will, presumably to on-pass them to the Ukrainians. I know this is something that President Zelensky has been asking for. Um, Polish government is also asking for older American jets in return. Um, that being said, we have not gotten any confirmation or word from the American government about this on-passing. I know that there were discussions about it that are being had. Is that something that would help currently with the situation in Ukraine. I, I know you're asking for a no-fly zone. What we're getting from officials around the world is they're worried that if there is a no-fly zone, it will have to be policed by NATO forces or American forces, and they are worried that that would lead to a broader war throughout not just Europe, but the world. It would lead to World War III. 
So, okay, why in Libya it was possible to have no-fly zone? Why Wagner group were killed in Middle East and no rational reactions? So, and now we are discussing that, okay, javelins are good, stingers are good. This is very helpful, but we need more. And actually, we don't need statements that U.S. is given green light. We need these javelins, these fighter jets from Poland, from Romania, from Bulgaria to be sent immediately to Ukraine. Uh, no PR, just send it to us. And there is another neutral countries like Sweden, like Finland, which already providing lethal weapon for, for us. So there are many ways to help Ukraine. Look, uh, the Putin's blitzkrieg failed and Ukrainians are fighting. Please help us to win. And I'm here in Warsaw trying to meet everyone from the EU nations, from NATO uh, alliance, convincing them join to our victory now. Please stop Putin now because tomorrow it will not help you because Russian war against NATO is already happening. The battlefield is Ukraine. So please, you have many means. Do not hesitate. And during my talk to State Secretary Blinken, I told him why you are blockading the uh, fighter jets from Poland to Ukraine. Please uh, help us. And you have other options. And even why uh, we don't see the, the sixth fleet of the US in the Black Sea to protect NATO members like Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey. Because another uh, Putin's uh, um, uh, provocation and attack in Odessa, in Mariupol city. Mariupol is in siege. Uh, more than 400,000 people now without water. This today one kid died because of uh, how this is called like uh, dehydration. So look, yeah, I think I, I, uh, the world heard, must demonstrate leadership. You know, that was one that, that I didn't, you know, I just read a couple lines about that and I had to stop reading because I was going to break down the idea that this little girl died of dehydration alone because her mom wasn't there any longer. It's, it is horrible. I understand it's horrible. There are a lot of Americans out there who are, sorry, who are saying they want a no-fly zone as well, but again... So far, what we're hearing from officials, they don't want to start another world war. That is so. There is no explanation. Look, this is not just this one kid. You saw this picture of which was in Suma City, killed Vadim, a small boy. Actually, we cannot just watch how many Ukrainians are dying. I'm asking Biden, I'm asking Congress, please help our nation. During the last century, when Ukraine suffered during the Holodomor genocide, the U.S. recognized the Soviet Union, actually when we were killed by hunger. And now I'm asking everybody to help Ukrainian kids. Look, we are winning, and Ukrainian victory matters for Moldova, for Georgia, for the free world. I don't understand why. Why we have to convince everybody that this is about humanity? Hannah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's awful. It's just terrible. Um, Hannah Opko in Poland, thank you.
for joining us. At the very least, we're happy that you are safe right now. seal off, or rather, share. Vladimir Putin must end in faith. Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. Every weekday, I'm joined by leading journalists from the Telegraph's London newsroom and our teams reporting across Europe to bring you the latest news and analysis on the war in Ukraine. It's day 13, and today I'm with the Telegraph's defence and security editor, Dominic Nichols, Francis Durnley, our assistant comment editor, and Verity Bowman from our foreign team. So can we just start with updates from the front lines? What are the most important military updates overnight and this morning? Dom Nichols. Hi, David. Hi, everybody. Um, so actually, it was, it was reasonably quiet uh, yesterday and overnight. There were more strikes to the, uh, to the north of the, of the capital, Kiev. Very little in the city. More strikes in the east around the cities of Kharkiv. Chernihiv, again, civilians bearing the brunt there. Uh, Ukrainians have, uh, they've continued their strikes against mainly against the uh, Russian logistic element, so fuel trucks and ammunition and so on and so forth, which has added to this yet another day of stymied forward movement from the Russians. They have made advances in, in some areas, particularly in the south, although this is mainly along, along the established routes. They've yet to really push off those routes and get around to the west to Odessa or um, completely seal off, or, or rather to take the city of Mariupol on the coast. So they have made some progress, and of course that comes at great cost to both sides, let's not forget. The other big news is, is that there's been another very senior Russian general killed, Major General Vitaly Gerasimov, who was the chief of staff of the 41st Army. He was killed in Kharkiv. Now this is the second general killed in a week. Last week we, would, we had reports that Andrei Sukovetsky had been killed by sniper fire um, north of Kiev as he'd gone forward. He and a number of senior officers had gone forward to try to, uh, in the words of a Western official, uh, quote, impose their personality um, on the situation, i.e. get things moving again. Now, in Kharkiv, there's not been such a push on the ground as in the, uh, in the capital. Uh, Russians have re largely relied on staying outside the city and uh, using fires, artillery, missile, air, and so on, to hit the city. So quite why uh, General Gerasimov was so far forward, or how he was killed, the circumstances and location, not exactly known. It should be noted that although the same name he is not related to uh, General Vitaly Gerasimov, who is the who is the head of the armed forces and the the architect of the Gerasimov doctrine, this this modern Russian way of warfare which blends military, political uh, disinformation, subversion, um, assassination, all the various different levers a state can pull on. Um, Russia has been thought of to be. Uh, in the exemplar of that, and Vitaly Gerasimov is supposed to, supposedly the, the, the architect of it, but as I say, not related to the, the, the guy uh, Vitaly Gerasimov killed today, uh, or in the last 24 hours. Thank you, Dom. Um, Verity Bowman, I know you've been looking into the, the death of this Russian general, and you found some interesting things. Do you want to speak to that? Um, yeah, so I think something that's really interesting about this death is that we have found it from a leaked conversation that Ukrainian officials have released. So this has actually come because Russia's encrypted service, messaging service, 
seems to be failing at the moment. And if that is the case, it's a pretty huge blow for Russia. Um, so what they use is a system called ERA. It's a crypto phone service, and it was introduced with this great fanfare tip to work in all conditions. Um, but in this leaked conversation, an FSB officer asks his boss if he can talk by the system, but he says it's not actually working. And I think the issue is that this system needs 3G or 4G to operate, but the Russians have actually kind of shot themselves in the foot by destroying a load of 3G masks. So the phone call was actually made using a local SIM card, which means it was able to be intercepted. Thanks, thanks very much, Verity. Can we just um, look at some of the other big news um, from today? We had an announcement from the uh, energy company Shell about their operations in Russia. Verity, could you speak to this? Um, yeah, so basically Shell is scrapping all of its purchases of Russian oil and gas. And this has been announced actually by a really big backlash that they had after they bought some Russian crude oil last week. They backtracked, said that they're really sorry and it wasn't the right decision. But in the reality, they got this oil at a heavily discounted price and loads of other producers were already shunning it. They have said, though, that they will give all the profits from the remaining oil to a fund that will support Ukrainians. Enjoy the ride. Thank you.